0: Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I wanna thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. Welcome to episode nine of the Let's Talk Government podcast. Today, we are going to discuss the international impact of the election from 2020. I am joined again by Dr. Tom Inglot and Dr. Jackie Vasselli, who is a faculty emerita from the International Relations Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. You will recognize our honored guests from episode four about US foreign policy. Well, I'm going to open it up, and let's let's talk about the election results from the federal elections in 2020. Um, What kind of impact are they going to have? What do you think? Um, And it's even not conclusive yet, although we think we we definitely have a president-elect. So let's get your opinions on that first. What about the election? Anything interesting?
1: I I find it so mixed in the sense that, I mean, on one hand, um, I think that it really does speak to us democracy and and you know to what sort of instruments or power the people may have in terms of the the turnout was historic um we have seen a little bit of uh, violent clash between protesters and counter protesters but you know nothing like we feared that we might see um so on on that level um and i've seen a little bit of reaction concurring with this maybe the american people have done ourselves decently proud um on the other hand you know what's happening in terms of the top of the republican party i mean trump is trump but uh I, I think uh, not to have the GSA sign off, not to have an, an orderly transition, um, and uh, I think they're—I think they've—they won one out of thirty lawsuits from what I've seen, and that was about the distance that observers could stand uh, from the canvassers, um, and it's uh, you know. Uh, It's everyone is saying it's dangerous uh, to this country in terms of national security and in terms of uh, health. Uh, And and yet, you know, you you have the top of the Senate saying nothing. You have the president calling two canvassers in Wayne County, Michigan, to lean on them. And you have that whole fiasco that, uh, you know, panned out from that. Um, and later on, maybe I can mention uh, some of the African reactions in social media that are quite um, thought-provoking and quite amusing, actually. Well, before we
0: go to Tom here, I do want to clarify an acronym that you used, Jackie, and that was the GSA and that's the General Services Administration, which is, is a agency that supports the basic functioning of federal agencies. Um, just so if you're listening and you didn't know what the GSA is, that's what that is. So Tom, what's your reaction?
2: Well, um, I just want to start by, by saying that uh, uh, the reaction originally of mine was pretty similar to what I read about the world reaction which is original you, you know, reaction was euphoria and optimism that Biden won and then of course it sipped in, it became clear that he didn't win by as much of a margin that everyone expected. Then statistics coming in and showing why he won and how uh, the Trump uh, constituency solidified hold on certain counties and states and how the legislatures at the state level were captured by Republicans and how some people split the vote because of uh, reaction to the Black Lives Matter protest, apparently that's the interpretation. All kinds of different themes start peeking through the results that we have good hold on the results then we realize the polls were wrong. So all kinds of complications. But I think the most fundamental problem that I now realize and I wasn't that much, uh, I wouldn't say aware of it, but I was more optimistic it wouldn't go that way is the complete collapse of unwritten democratic norms. And there was this famous book that I assigned for my class uh, two years ago uh, called, uh, How Democracies Die by Steven Levitsky and Daniel Ziblatt. Um, And this is the book that many people read and found very fascinating. What they discuss in this book is this authoritarian slide that is based not so much on uh, the existence or non-existence of rules and and constitution and all that, but those unwritten agreements that certain things we respect, that there is a certain process that we want to follow and we agree on it and that completely collapsed. Uh, And every day we discover, for example, today in the paper, we discover that Trump invited into the White House representatives, state representatives from Michigan Uh, and trying to coerce them into electing uh, the electors from that state that would vote against the people. And that is completely unprecedented. Only a few days ago, people scratched their heads and said, oh, that will never come to this. So every day we discover this is pushed further and further. Uh, Those people who certified the vote in Michigan, uh, two members of the election uh, commission, were coerced into reversing their certification. Trump called one of them, and then after that they said, no, no, we change our mind, we don't certify, There was fraud. And you know, I can go on and on, there's so much of it, and uh, so many, I think there are about 31 lawsuits. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two of them are still pending, and new ones are being filed. So there's the legal uh, situation, there is also mobilization. I, what I think disturbs me the most, and I heard it just last night from, uh, uh, Mr. Suskind, who was supposed to come as a Kessel speaker, Ron Suskind, I think Fred, you know, one of our committee members for Dr. Slocum, and arranged his visit. I think it didn't happen maybe, but he just had an interview last night on Amanpour and company, and he said what he fears the most is that this president will not give up his ultimate weapon, which is the mobilization of his supporters. They are waiting as troops behind the scenes to be mobilized. They have weapons. Some of them will not do it, probably majority would not do it, but there's a small minority of absolutely committed supporters who can be ignited at a moment's notice and do horrible things to our country. And this is quite real. It will not go away even if, if Trump goes away at a certain point which he will probably start to, you know, but he can even organize this during the inauguration. Mm -hmm. Because I can't imagine under the present circumstances, and this is my biggest fear, of Trump shaking hands with Biden, or elbows or whatever, uh, at the inauguration, after all this, Mm -hmm. he would not do it. And also Biden would probably also not expect it. So we will not have a normal inauguration that's 100% assured. What will happen, I don't know, but there a lot of bad scenarios possible. So this is my biggest thing.
1: Yeah, I, I fear the same things. My hope, though, is uh, there. Uh, what we see is the number of people that uh, voted for Trump uh, who are not necessarily... We know that that we've got that core of really committed people that uh, some of whom might do anything that we're worried about. But, you know, we've also got a lot of people that, well, you know, I like them for the economy. My 401k has been doing really well and uh, and and so on. I'm I'm hoping um, that more of the public uh, that still does retain some commitment to democratic norms. We'll just be disgusted uh by what's going on jackie and
2: you know history, uh you know you know probably history jackie um, uh, that that quote from history oh, he built highways
1: yeah, Everybody I know, knows. and another That's one made the trains the train. run on time, I know. Yeah.
2: Well, that was another one that was in Italy, but mm-hmm. yeah. guess, uh, you know, he built highways and he gave us jobs and the middle- Right, class I know. And we can get rid of him because he's a clown and he will not last very long. Mm-hmm. So we know this happened before, it's not first time. Yeah, so. So what yeah I mean, right, you know, I know. Uh, but you know, what worries me in connection to this is the fact that there are people who actively work on social media also to make money because Trump is a profitable commodity. They sell a lot of yep. products related to the media, people are making money. So there are some cynical people in this business that are doing it for business, but there are also others like Bannon and people like him, ideologically committed to just wrecking the whole thing and see what happens. So, and they're agitating, organizing, mobilizing people in every state on every level to do violence, if necessary, and to oppose the system, to, dra- to to drain the swamp or whatever. You have these people working actively, so Trump is not alone, there's a whole movement there. Mm-hmm. They might, might look at, to us disconnected, disjointed, and all that. So even if they mobilize 100,000 people, 200,000, it can be very damaging.
0: So then mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to pose to the two of you we see this kind of chaos going on in the United States and a very close vote between President Elect Biden and President Trump. What does that do for the legitimacy of the United States government in the world? And how does the world look at this election? Do they see the chaos or do they see something different um, in areas of the world at least? Yeah.
1: There's there's some very amusing commentary and thought provoking commentary uh, from sub-Saharan Africa on Twitter, um, and you know I I am not myself um, in the social media, but you know you you pull up uh, various news reports and and they quote these things and. And of course, they're pointing out, I mean, the State Department here now, a week or so ago, criticized Tanzania uh, for a flawed election. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know, there have been, uh, of course, all sorts of criticisms leveled at uh, African countries uh, for corruption and various things. And, and so you have, uh, well the, the one I liked was uh, some... Uh, some folks in West Africa who were saying, you know, we really ought to organize a, an NGO, a non-governmental organization, um, to help the American people with election reform, and maybe we should have some of our exchange students, university students, and others uh, go over and 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 help with um, teaching. American children democratic norms and and uh people were chiming in sure uh I'll uh we could organize uh, get some donations and hey I'll head the research department and uh, uh hey I'll compose some songs for the for the cause you know and buck up the american people and and uh um so you know there's been some thought provoking amusing commentary that uh, uh come on you know we still look to the united states uh for democratic norms and and you guys are missing in action so i you know i i can uh i can point out that reaction some of that reaction i'm sorry i was just laughing cuz you're right
0: we we did criticize tanzania and then now you look at what's going on here it's like pot calling the kettle black right <laughs> so what about European reactions Tom I mean they've actually had some very close elections within European countries as well for leaders um, how is the legitimacy of this election standing up in Europe and
2: in- I just uh, just want to add one thing to, oh. to Jackie's comment that I heard you know Jackie one of those American institutions that monitors elections in Africa is the Carter Center right yes Right, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I just heard this week on the news that for the first time in its history, Carter Center was called upon to monitor elections in Georgia itself. Yes, yes. So they've never been active uh, nationally on, in any election in the United States. They always monitor. Right. The so they were asked especially to monitor elections in Georgia. So that's where we came to. Wow. So that's one one footnote. But about Europe, you know, and I can say generally also other countries. So the first reaction I heard from people I know and from the public and from the elites was uh, absolute euphoria. And I was really surprised because very rarely people react to U.S. election in this way. They react and say, finally, we're so happy for you. You got rid of Trump. You have Biden. Biden would change things. So it was for the first week or two, it looked like it was very uh, optimistic. But very soon after, I think uh, it kind of gave, gave way to confusion and, uh, you know, bewilderment of what's going on. And I think at this point people just tuned out a lot of things because they cannot follow, they are not so familiar because our election system is so complicated and difficult to to understand. Uh, but they kind of, you know, divide into, into several camps right now and some still believing that the process is being followed and they're ignoring the uh, problems that we just discussed in the system sliding towards some kind of authoritarian uh, situation. Others uh, shrug it off and they say, well, it's temporary, it will be fixed uh, and, and so on. And there are some who are really uh, worried, but uh, generally I think that the minority are worried. They still believe America will pull through this, especially in Europe. I'm not sure other countries, right? But. Um, And I would just say, generally, that uh, the reactions in Europe are divided into maybe three camps, and there are those enthusiasts who still believe America is being tested, but we need it, and we can see that it still can be a leader. A much more bigger group now is the pragmatists, the people who think that, um, you know, we have to adjust to a new world, that Trump has done permanent damage, it's been going on for a while, America has been isolating itself from the world. And we have to kind of rely on ourselves and look at our self-interest to survive this. And maybe it's good for us because we relied on America too much. And that's what many Europeans are saying. I think it's the, the largest camp now. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have those US skeptics, people who believe we are kind of on the verge of the apocalypse. And uh, we have to dismiss the United States of hand that the new world will be built in different ways and there are some people who are willing, you know, maybe not in Europe, but the rest of the world to acknowledge that authoritarianism, Chinese model, Russian model is gonna be, is going to survive and will do well in the new times. And others who are uh, hoping that somehow we find a democratic alternative, but not based on the United States, but the United States has always been, this is a more left wing group claiming that, well, it's another evidence the United States imperialist and it, you know, democracy is fake uh, we need to find a different system. Go for socialism or some other solutions, whatever that might be. So this group is still very vocal and kind of says it's it's no different than before. It's just a continuum. So these are all the skeptics and people who believe the United States with a much more critical eye. So these are the three perspectives I see in from the European, especially position. We can so talk I'm... about individual countries later because that's kind of interesting how individual countries are trying to react to this, but.
0: So I am going to ask your opinion on this. So do you think if there had been a wider margin, so if President-elect Biden had uh, had garnered a lot more votes to win, that that would have increased his legitimacy at all? Or do you think that this attitude now would have been the same attitude, no matter what his margin of winning was? Because it's very close right now. And it's an opinion, I know. I'm asking your opinion.
1: Well, it, you know, it's 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 close. But then again, it... You know the margin is a uh, five five and a half to six million mm-hmm. in the popular vote um so you know I think that's a function of many many more people i think turned out on both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. um and uh i I would have. Liked to see a wider margin myself for various reasons. But I, I'm beginning to think that that may not have made that much of a difference because that proportion of people who think the elections were fraudulent and so on, um, they, they might, in fact, be worse if it had been a really wide margin, because, of course, one of the things that's being argued is, look, you know, you not only have officials of of both parties saying that that this was a very secure, very fair election, um, but look how close it is. If the Democrats were really pulling that much fraud, don't you think they would have taken the Senate and you know, kept a really strong lead in the house and so on. Hey, if you're going to steal it, you know, steal it the right way. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping for one thing that the, the fact that it is known that it's very close, it maybe will take a little bit of the steam out of that. Although, again, you know, I, I keep banking on logic, which may be a mistake.
2: No, I, you know, I'm not banking on logic that much, but I think this is more of an domestic issue. Mm -hmm. That uh, part you asked a very important question, but it's important for us domestically. Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters that much internationally as long as they have confidence in what Biden can and cannot do. And I think that's where the discussion is going. Will Will Biden be able to reverse the things that Trump has done and how much support he will have in the country for that and there are people who still believe he has certain, uh, you know, he, he has legitimacy definitely. And he ha- will have powers in his own hands, especially in foreign policy, definitely. The president has a lot of power. So I don't think it really matters for foreign countries if he won, even if he didn't win the popular vote, but had been elected, uh, you know, legitimately during our, in our electoral college it would, you know, in the eyes of the world, he'd still be president. Okay. So the question is how, he's willing to reverse certain things that matter for Europe, how much of what Trump did he will still support and not support. And every country, basically, you know, this is the rule uh, that Trump introduced. And looking from the perspective of individual countries, it may not have been that bad for them because they could make separate deals with him. Okay, and they viewed it as beneficial. Before America was following a certain policy, which was good for certain countries not good for others, Trump kind of look at each case individually and try to make some kind of a deal, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But, you know, if you're a small country and you're able to strike a deal with, with Trump, whatever you care about, you know, he's your president. So, you know, that's their perspective, very narrow-minded. They rarely look at the big picture and that includes my home country of Poland. They are you know, so enthusiastic about Trump because he moved troops from Germany and that's all they care about. Mm. He moved a few thousand troops to Poland and they consider that they, they think, you know, you can't even explain to them that those troops doesn't matter. The Russia attacks will be overrun in two hours, but, but uh, you know, yes. they think that, you know, that they will defend them. So mm. this kind of perspective, you can't get it out of their head. No rational argument would work. They believe this is their national security period. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing is, you know, I wonder how, how long a view people are taking because, you know, now there's talk about maybe another Trump run in 2024. Um, and, you know, who knows? So, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of optimism, um, around the world that, Trump uh, or that Biden may be able to fix uh, some of that stuff that Trump did uh but for how long yeah, you know and and the american public uh seems to not have a very steady compass in terms of you know uh we we make wild swings in our uh Uh, in in our electoral preferences, so.
2: And Jackie, remember, you know, going back to to this, we had a very imperfect, we had something resembling a world order, world order that was built after World War II. It was based on the United States leading and making broader coalitions in different parts of the world to follow certain standards, including human rights, but primarily economic development, free trade. Now you can throw in climate and other things into this equation, but uh, see what Trump has done is permanently damaged this this system. And now Biden will be expected to to also negotiate separately with each country and will be having very difficult time to convince them to come into the fold of a coalition and give something up and Maybe benefit mm-hmm. in some other ways. No, no, no. Everyone has their own agenda. said, we were able to do it with Trump. Why don't you do it for us now? And mm-hmm. you know, it will not be possible for him to repeat that. Uh, you know, I just heard, uh, and some of these uh, situations uh, became very, you know, troubling. Uh, for example, the human rights community in China—they believe that Trump was their ally. And people in Hong Kong, you know, this. And I have a, an acquaintance. I know here in the cities, who is from Hong Kong, and he told us, you know, we went to a picnic this summer and he told us openly, there are people in Hong Kong, the opposition, who are very much supportive of Trump because they believe he's tough on China. And China needs a tough approach. The same Venezuela people are thinking in Florida, they voted for Trump. Uh
1: So
2: it's kind of bizarre, but from their perspective, it makes sense because they want to have this image of someone standing up for them and yelling things at the Chinese. They believe Biden is much more uh, benign in relation with China who enter some kind of agreement and focus more on trade, ignore their grievances, you know, and looking from, you know, I remember my own experience in Poland, you know, Reagan was our hero because, because he stood up to Russia, Soviet Union, and nobody, even people who were, you know, very liberal in their views would criticize, only coming to this country I realized how much President Reagan was despised by the unions, by the left, uh, people in this country, by Progressive, by university, professors, mm-hmm. criticized him, how much damage he did to this country. I didn't have any idea. I was looking from outside and he was our ally. He was staff on the Soviet Union. Right. He was negotiating with the Pope to dismantle communism. It was great. So, you know, it's a very complicated picture. And uh-huh. I, uh, I think that Look at Israel now. Pompeo went to uh, to the um, occupied territories for the first time yesterday. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's also, not only Trump, Pompeo is contemplating run for president. I don't think he's as charismatic will be, will be successful, but he's trying. So he is solidifying the gains in Israel. Netanyahu is the best friend of Trump and he's still the prime minister. Uh, uh, Palestinians are completely ignored mm-hmm. over there, uh, you know. So, uh, He went to the Golan Heights as well. So, you know, and and they've been pushing Arab countries, including Saudi Arabia, to sign up to this so-called peace deal that they're, you know, engineering there. So situation is extremely complex. And I don't know if Biden, and I, I watched him speak, you know, he does not, you know, symbolism in politics, how you look on TV, very important. He does not project confidence and strength at all when he speaks. He's tired, he's much more contemplative, even much more kind of wishy-washy than sometimes Obama was, because Obama was much more of a philosopher rather than president. And, you know, but people expect the president step in and and, and say, do this, do that, let's do this, and, and have an agenda and forward looking strong image. And people will see kind of weak, uh, older person who is hesitating, you know, is very gentle in his speech, fine, but that's not what they expect in the president in times of an emergency, I'm sorry
1: yeah although uh you know with the experience that he has with the connections that he has, and so on, um I think people may may find him in terms of actual policy more decisive than they think you know i'm I'm not disputing what you're saying about the image um, least
2: you and I people who read people who follow people who are educated. We know. I read the, the the slide of his team. People nominated for p- possible cabinet positions. It's an A team. I mean, excellent people. But so mm-hmm. what? Well, you know, you had excellent people. Many government that collapsed in Europe, other places, because people mm-hmm. you know, people see the president only, and that's how they they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't know the policy details. They, you know. And I read also something. Uh, interesting yesterday about American elections, turns out to be that actually, despite all the grim statistics about certain groups of people who suffered in the economy, the bulk majority of the middle-class and businesses, that includes even some of my students who are running businesses, returning adults, feel they got good money from Trump. He, you know, he signed the check, Jackie, that people- Yeah, must- right, yeah. He. It was Congress that did it and the Democrats, but people don't know it. They think it's the uh-huh. Trump that gave them the money, gave them the loans. So this is something that he says he promised and he delivered. So this is what you see as the image. Doesn't matter what the details are in the truth. This is what people see and how they interpret reality. So, right. this, this, you know, this, this comes from somewhere, this sentiment, and... You know, the same in in Europe. I mean, for them, president has to come in, take a good picture, shake hands and say, I'm going to deliver this for your country. And whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. It's symbolic. It's important for people to hear.
0: So then as we're kind of bringing our podcast to the close, I want to kind of pose one last question is, how is the lack of transition that we're having, and we don't expect to really have much transition before the inauguration, how is that going to infet, uh, impact President Biden's um, administration in the world? Because he, he really can't reach out. He doesn't have intelligence briefings. He doesn't get to really work with the State Department. How's that going to impact the transition here, do
1: you think? I think very, very badly. Um, Now, of course, there's no way to to know this, but in in hindsight, I think it will be very interesting. I suspect that there is a lot of uh, surreptitious communication going on under the woodwork. Maybe... You know, maybe I'm just wanting to be hopeful, but you know I think well we know certainly that former officials um who are not under constraints you know are are talking very actively um you know there has been some movement among republicans in in Congress to say enough is enough we we need this transition um I'm at, I'm at least equally worried about what will happen in terms of these runoffs in the Senate and you know will McConnell and the leadership of the Senate if they if they retain good control uh continue to be obstructionist I mean uh, some some are speculating that uh Biden and, and McConnell uh, have a personal friendship and have worked together for a long time, and maybe we really will see some real negotiation and real work across the aisle. But I, I can see Biden suffering a, a lame presidency for four years, and yes, being able to do some things in the policy, foreign policy arena, but, um, but maybe not not nearly as much as we would like. And, and I hope it doesn't go down that way, but I certainly can see that being a real prospect.
2: Okay. Yep. Well, starting on the optimistic side for a change, I think that the good thing is that he has already prepared some documents that he's going to sign probably on the first day, which includes the rejoining of the Paris Accord on climate. So if he sends good signals to the world on the first day of his, after his inauguration, that's going to give Baim some time. But in terms of longer term, I agree with Jackie on many fronts, even though Jackie focused more of the, on the domestic situation, but internationally, I think uh, the U.S. W- interest will be damaged, uh, not only because of the transition, but because of all the work he has to do to prepare the government for his administration and also make sure that people in all these departments, including state department, treasury, trade are his loyalists because Trump created a situation in which many people that he's gonna leave behind will be there in different positions are his uh, supporters and loyalists and they will not work with this administration. So they have to do a clean sweep of all these agencies And also make sure that they have people who are loyal to the Democrats and the administration, which will be a very hard job. And before this whole job is done, the world will not stand still. We have a pandemic, we have all kinds of problems, and the U.S. leadership will be missed for a year before things are under control. So, you know, long term looks very bad. And now this time is wasted. The intelligence community is demoralized. And who knows what will happen between now and January. And some things I also heard the very disturbing yesterday, I read in the paper that uh, President uh, Trump is probably one of the few presidents who will not leave behind his papers for posterity. He's Mm -hmm. destroying all the documents uh, and people are scrambling to save some information. So we may have a situation like um, you know, um, uh, last days of a dictatorship. There will be a furnace in the White House burning, and they'll be burning all the, right. business, oh you know, their, mm-hmm. their, uh, activities. So you know, all these things, you know, it's just impossible to grasp. So, you know, I I I'm very worried about the future.
1: Well, and then the the, the news of you know, is is he planning uh, some kind of strike on Iran? Uh, and maybe he thinks if at the last minute he can get the country into a, a hot war, uh, that people will accept, well, we're, we're at war now, maybe he'd better stay.
2: Well, it kind of contradicts his withdrawal from Afghanistan, so I'm not, Yeah. In, like, he doesn't want to do this. He's doing things in Iran using Israel. Mm. Uh-huh. They assassinated a number two of Al-Qaeda in Tehran using Israeli agents, just happened uh, you know, recently. So yeah. we know that Israel, and yesterday I heard the one sentence that was kind of ominous about this, uh, uh, that one journalist from uh, Tel Aviv said, well, there might be some bombing, but a bomb doesn't mean that it's dropped from an airplane. Wow. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are other ways of bombing things that can happen Mm -hmm. in Iran right now, Mm -hmm. uh, because Israel has this network of agents inside the country that can do damage. So Mm -hmm. there's something in the works right now.
1: Right. And and even from a a human rights standpoint, you know, uh, again, the media is not showing us much, but I am beginning to wonder uh, if civil society in Iran is going through a lot of what the people of Iraq went through in terms of sanctions. And, you know, we're not being shown that, but, you know, this uh, this is another area that we haven't even talked about in terms of the Trump administration and whether Biden can fix it. I mean, all these horrific humanitarian catastrophes that we are in part responsible for um in Yemen for example in Syria uh and um I don't know are those things that Biden can fix and and of course from the perspective of the left I mean um you know, Biden is not going to change the basic imperialist philosophy, the left would say, and imperialist conduct of the United States.
2: <laughs> you, know, so, not, you know, one more danger, Jackie, in the Middle East, it's very important because the coalition that Trump leaves behind and Israel yeah. is heading is a coalition of Bahrain, uh, United Arab Emirates, Israel, uh, all other states, and silently also Saudi Arabia that cannot sign to it because of ideological reasons and, and religious and so forth. But they are supporting this against Iran right. anti-Iranian coalition solidified and Biden coming in cannot break it up right. without causing mm-hmm. problems. So that means he cannot reach out to Iran and Iranians know it. So they're gonna be very much defensive now and try to do something to, to counter this. So it's a situation completely different than Obama faced when he was in this agreement with Europeans about controlling nuclear uh, production. So we are talking about the Trump set the stage for mayhem. Well, on, and on that note,
0: we're going to come back in the spring to start talking again after the inauguration about what is that mayhem and how is it impacting and Thank (laughs) you so much. I know we could talk on and on and on, but thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. I hope the listeners really enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. So we'll be bringing you back in the spring. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu. Backslash let's talk gov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode, and thank you for listening.